0: Hi, this is Carol, and welcome to episode 37 of Speakerman Speaks Retail, where we navigate retail from now to next through my latest retail trajectories and interviews with industry experts who help us chart the course. Now, we all know by now that brick and mortar is critical to retailers' digital strategies. Stores drive brand awareness, and that can translate to digital sales. Stores also serve as hubs for the crazy number of options that retailers are adding to their convenience arsenals. And a ton of innovation is set to be unleashed in brick and mortar as immersive devices hit the market and as retailers reinvest in digitizing their store experiences. My guest, Tina Chadwick, is the SVP of Creative, Strategy, and Digital for MillerZell. MillerZell is a branded environments company that provides end-to-end services for leading retailers, banks, colleges, and quick-serve restaurants. Prior to MillerZell, Tina served in leadership roles overseeing strategy for top brands and organizations including Russell Athletic, Nature's Own, Verizon, and the American Cancer Society. So I'm really looking forward to getting her insights on how branded environments are evolving and the work that MillerZell's doing as attention swings back to brick and mortar. So welcome, Tina. It's so great to have you here today. Thanks. I'm super happy
1: to be here as well. There's so much to talk about, so much going on.
0: Absolutely. Retail is fast moving. And again, you know, attention is going back to brick and mortar. And I think that's where so much of the excitement is going to be for the rest of the year. But I have to say that Miller Zell, you guys have some impressive longevity, especially by retail standards. The company was founded, if I have this right, in 1964. And back then it was primarily about large format print and graphics and promotions. But that was just two years after Walmart launched, and obviously a lot's changed since then. So, Tina, what does L look like today?
1: The MillerZell of today looks a lot like the initial L and then nothing like the initial L. <laughs> it's still a large format printing, but now sometimes the substrate is different or the material that's being printed on is different. It might cover an entire window instead of being hung in a store, or it might do both. What's interesting is we still do a lot of what we originally did for Walmart and other clients all the way through. And now we've just added on and added on and added on to many different things that we're doing.
0: Digital is becoming a much bigger part of the mix for retailers and brands. So Tina, how are you seeing that interplay between print and digital play out with your customers and in your projects as you do evolve and as you have evolved over the years?
1: Print still has a very viable role in what's Furthermore, you can't really get into digital without the print helping that, right? What holds a QR code? Mostly print. So you have to put that QR code on something, whether it's a shelf talker or a big poster or whatever it is that you want to have represent that QR code. Print now has a new role, as you so aptly put it, and that's exactly what's happening is the role of print used to be it had to carry every bit of information, either that or it was over the loudspeaker, right? We remember those days. (laughs) But now there's many different ways that retailers talk to their consumers. There's apps, there's signage, there's digital signage and practical signage, i.e. the print, many different ways. And you can fit more on a poster. And what I mean by that is posters are, of course, a set size and we print them. But now with the ability to add a QR code or prompt a reader to go online to the app or web or other source, you can fit much more information because what you're doing is starting the journey on a printed piece and then going ahead and going further with the digital piece of it as well. So integrating the two. It's not competition anymore. It's much more integrative and symbiotic.
0: It occurred to me as you were speaking that there's a lot more content out there And balancing print and digital together allows that volume of content to even reach consumers.
1: Yes, and you remember getting circulars in your home where it was jam-packed and every single space was full of something. What it does now, the symbiotic relationship that I just talked about, what it does is it allows you to ingest information as a consumer in bite-sized chunks and in ways that you're supposed to as far as order and degree of fidelity as you go. So I may be reading a poster that gives me a little bit of information, and then I have the next step to go get more, or I've been given enough information to do what I need to do. But the poster now, or printed piece, or whatever it is, doesn't have to contain the entire story. It can be, so to speak, in chapters as you go, and that's a really nice way to parse out information.
0: Yeah, I like that analogy of chapters, or it's sort of the hyperlink model either. Like if you want to know more, you can know more. Everything doesn't have to be upfront. That's right. Well, zooming in on that digital piece, one of my top trajectories is the digital rethinking of physical retail and the emergence of fidgetal retail. What are some ways that you're seeing this new fidgetal reality take shape? I think you just touched on it a minute ago, but are there some other examples in your work?
1: Yes, and it's becoming more and more Prevalent, as a matter of fact, almost commonplace for there to be that digital mindset. For instance, we just worked with a large computer supply store and we developed an app for them that let people find things on the shelf. And that was a consumer app and an employee app. We also came up with signage, huge signage that was wayfinding on how to find things. So it's, again, as we go back to, it's a blend of what makes the most sense for what you're trying to do. If it's a lot of intricate information, for instance, is it an inventory, is it on the shelf, and how does it work? That's best handled through an app that allows for that kind of information exchange. If it's where are the extension cords, that can be handled on a sign. So it's just a blending of those things. And what we're also seeing is the stores themselves are having a different job to do than what they normally had to do. It is not stocking a lot of things on shelves and then releasing consumers into the store's in a frenzy to grab things off. People want to have an experience, and that's where digital comes into play. Again, going back to there's QR codes, there's augmented reality, there's smart technology that allows for interaction just by gesture or interaction. So it's lots of different ways other than just a signage pointing to where a stack of goods are that you want people to buy. There's a really good example too. We were visiting a college in Texas, and they needed... A couple of different things done to some of their facility buildings. One of them was a student center. And it was interesting. You went inside and it felt like a museum. It wasn't bad. There was a timeline and it was interesting, but it wasn't a student center. So our charge was, okay, there's a cafeteria in here. There's a timeline that we take alumni through and prospective students. And then there's just a gathering space. But again, all of it was cavernous and felt like a museum was prestigious, but it wasn't usable. So now in the food area, now there's kiosks that you order through and then you pick up your food and increase the throughput of students' ability to eat there by tenfold. Then for the timeline, we put in a 30-foot gesture-based interactive wall that you can control the timeline and your progression through it through gestures. So that's a much more interactive way and memorable way for someone to experience the rich history of where we were. Now, the student center, now you can't keep students out of it. Every nook and cranny was filled with places to hang out and places to have some privacy and places to have meetings. So it's really just going into a space and going, okay, how can digital enhance the experience and how do we change the practical space? And how do we change the practical space to be able to handle the digital and create an experience that's seamless and exciting?
0: Yeah, I can see the two at work there. There's the practical side of it, just the navigation and all of that. And then there's the actual experience of it that obviously was so engaging that students wanted to spend more time there. I can certainly see a lot of that parlaying to retail (laughs) as retailers obsess on dwell time and are measuring all of that. But as part of this drive toward digital, one thing I've been talking a lot about and dedicated entire episodes to retailers are creating their own in-house ad agencies. In fact, it's becoming more the rule than the exception. And as store environments are digitized, retailers can collect even more data and then use all that first-party data to go back and promote their ad businesses to brands. So have you been seeing any of this in your work at Miller Zell, Tina, or has it impacted your work or has it hit yet?
1: We have many clients who have their own in-house Agencies and most of the time they fall under marketing, so within marketing there'll be varying degrees and sizes of agencies. and we partner with them. There's certain expertise that Millerzell has that 60 years of experience has added up to an advantage to having us in the room. And sometimes if the skill set is such that the client has it internally, we will fill a consultant role on how to best leverage those things and where things should be developed and how things should be developed. If it's there's a couple of people and it's that we need to take on the volume of the production, we can do that as well. So it just depends on the size of the entity internally and what the capabilities are and the purpose was of them. Sometimes it's production and sometimes it's strategy.
0: Well, that's good because even though it seems to be an almost universal dynamic that they're creating these agencies, they all are taking different approaches to what those agencies do and how they work with brands. So it sounds like you customize and just meet them where they are. Yes, definitely.
1: And I want to go back to one point you made about data. That is really changing the space. It used to be before there was kind of a let's put this campaign out there and cross your fingers and see what happens. And now, of course, with what you said so astutely a minute ago about there's data collection for everything. There's eye tracking, there's dwell time, there's flow through of where people were standing and how long. And there's technology that if you interact with something and pick it up, all of that measurement is going into inform how stores are laid out, how many items are on a shelf, where things are, you know, it used to be row, 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 end cap, end cap, end cap. And now it might be L shape, S shape, no shape, center in the middle. As a matter of fact, we were just working with one of our clients on they had built a build your own area within their store. And we studied it a little bit after we opened it was a test store, which was great. And we learned that hey, it's better if the employees are actually out from behind the counter, so we made it into an island instead of a counter. So less like a genius bar and more like an island where the employees could interact with the customers much more easily. And that came out of the data and the immediacy that you can act upon the data now.
0: Wow, that's great. Data collection is certainly making retailers more valuable to their brands, but it's radically transforming in-store environments too. You talked about dynamic content and that's one aspect of it, but there's just in general a lot more wear and tear and a lot more change and just a constant evolution, all of these remodels constantly happening. And I have to imagine lots of changes on the part of retailers in the store environment that maybe some not expected. So how are you navigating all of that?
1: It is a crazy, wonderful time is what I will say. (laughs) I was trying to get through the whole interview without referencing the pandemic, but there I said it, there it is. (laughs) I think that the times right now are so shaped by the last two years, as far as the acceleration of some of the technology, the consumer adoption of some of the behaviors from the technology and just interacting with brands. There's a wonderful mentality that's going on right now where consumers are allowing brands to try things and not holding them so accountable if something doesn't work out. And it harkens back to when people were trying to adjust for the pandemic, but stay open. We saw a lot of plexiglass and duct tape. (laughs) (laughs) And then consumers expect, you know, okay, now that's been out for a while, come up with a more elegant solution. That same mindset is coming into play with technology and some other things as people are allowing, consumers are allowing stores to try things and being part of that trial and giving their feedback on that trial to give stores an idea of what consumers do and don't want. It's actually a much more one-to-one consumers to brands getting feedback than I think it's ever been.
0: When you talk about that test and learn environment and again, consumers giving retailers and brands permission to test and learn and try new things and also knowing that not everything is going to go chain wide. Sometimes it just gets tested and then it goes quietly away. I know that you guys have been so immersed in some of these high-profile store remodels, or in some cases, you'd have to call them complete reinventions. And some of these stores do operate almost like laboratories where they're just teaming with experiments and then retailers are incubating ideas, they're testing and learning, and then they're deploying what works. So what does that look like from a collaborative standpoint, Tina? Do you have any ideas on best practices in this test and learn environment?
1: Yeah. What I love is, and sometimes this happens and it's an easy correct when you do a test and learn is people fall in love, clients maybe, fall in love with a certain technology. And what they want to do is they really want that technology. And let's just use for an example, a hologram. You know, we really want a hologram and not building a true business case for it. Sure. We can go in and test that in a store and it gives a more safer environment and not as costly to go in and test something. Now, you still have the development costs of what it's going to be and how realistic you want to make it. But one of the things we're seeing is figure out a test and learn environment where you can test a minimum viable product of something instead of the full-blown execution of it. Test the concept of it as much as you can versus getting it all the way to viability. What I love is, and again, Consumers are allowing for this and very readily giving their feedback without dinging the brand on trying something new. And when it quietly goes away, that's okay. I love that it's getting to testing out of laboratories and focus group type rooms, although those are very, very important and we use those still. It's starting to what I talked about before is putting consumers in front of brands kind of face-to-face rather than kind of through traditional research. So even the face of research in retail is changing as well.
0: So you're talking about testing the ability and the luxury really of having these live testing environments in the store, rather than just relying on these sort of backstage devices of the past.
1: Yes. And then you also get employee feedback and manager feedback, and then true feedback from the customers in a real scenario, rather than knowing that it's been fabricated for their input. It's more honest.
0: Sustainability is a topic that I tend to bring it up almost in every interview because it impacts retail so broadly, regardless of where you play, particularly in the physical elements that go into creating store environments and branded environments, which you guys specialize in. So, how does Miller Zell stay on top of these more aggressive sustainability commitments that retailers are making?
1: I think it's really, really positive that you're bringing out the true lens to look at sustainability because I think for a long time we've been able to get away with we being the larger corporate environment with just putting a page on a website. Here's what we're doing. We recycle our paper. What's happening is with the transparency trend in general, consumers want to know who runs a company, what their sustainability practices are, what their DE&I practices are, and not just from a give me the information, but show me. What are you really doing? And that demand comes through our clients to us as well. We have something called value engineering where we go through and we take designs, whether they were done by us or other people, and we look at the design and we engineer it down to make sure that it's affordable when it goes to scale. Well, another aspect of that is looking at it from a material standpoint and an implementation standpoint of what about the carbon footprint? What about the materials? How were the materials derived? All of the things and even the transport of them, the installation of them, every aspect, there's opportunities to improve sustainability. And that's the kind of things we have to look at and then teach our clients to look at as well because we don't do everything for them. We try, but we don't do everything for them. But it's a good way to start building it into every step along the way because we go from insight all the way to installation and there's a lot of steps in there where we can help with the mindset of sustainability.
0: Well, and it sounds like you're putting metrics to it. So therefore, in that spirit of transparency, if there are any questions or if there are new standards that hit, You already know what you've done all along the way and throughout the supply chain. And so you have all that at the ready.
1: That's true. And we also think it's super important to walk the talk. So we ourselves have sustainability goals that we put into play that our clients have asked for. We have prospects or pitches or new proposals that we're putting together. People are asking those questions. What are you doing about landfill waste? What are you doing about solar power? Are you a member of this, that, or the other? And we can answer yes. We're one of 58 for a sustainable green printing partnership. That's kind of an elite group to be in. So we make sure, kind of like we were just talking about, let's bring the testing and the sustainability together. We make sure we go out and test what we're asking our clients to do ahead of time and operate with those practices so we understand the challenges and can set them up for success because we've been through the challenges ourselves.
0: That's great. Well, Millerzell is very steeped in retail, but you also work outside of retail. You work with banks and quick-serve restaurants and other industries. So you have a broader view of what's happening in physical environments. So is there anything that you're seeing out there, Tina, whether it's retail or not, that you think is particularly directional or something to watch? I
1: think if Walt Disney were alive, he would be extremely excited. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's happening is people are looking for the magic. People are looking for an experience and the transaction can happen within that experience, but it's not necessarily the goal anymore. People wanna go to a store and experience something or feel something or belong to the brand or understand what they're joining. It can be education, it can be fun, it can be edutainment, you know, whatever the term is. But we're seeing this very big trend of the store itself having a new purpose and that purpose is, Connecting people and creating experiences where people can understand what they're buying into. Notice I didn't say buying. It's not just a transaction. It's what am I buying into by buying this brand?
0: I like that. I always say that not everything that matters can be measured and not every path is a path to purchase. You know, that's the mantra of shopper marketing that we've heard over the years. Sometimes it's a path to engagement. And I think there is a new mindset where, hey, it's all good because the more they're engaging, the more likely it is that down the road, perhaps they'll make a purchase.
1: Yes, 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 yes. And given the rise and proliferation of social too, they become advocates. And, you know, we can't ignore that channel as something. If I go have a good experience, the very first thing I'm going to do is picture it and post it. Live stream shopping is going to, I think, completely accelerate it, almost like kerosene kind of thing. We look at China for what trends are going to come our way soon, and the live stream shopping is something that's fast on its way here, where people are taking groups of people with them shopping within the store. Employees are becoming definitely more consultative and how they're selling because there's that interaction now that can happen with live streaming. And what I love seeing too is the transparency is begetting into the live streaming by There's a plant store that we know that they live stream unboxing the truck. When a new shipment comes in, the store owner's out there unloading the plants and talking about them. So that creates that excitement. People come to the store and they want to buy the plant I saw and so and so. The third one you unloaded, I want that one. It's creating that humanity between the brand and consumers.
0: That's interesting. Plants almost like a runway show, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yes, yes. You mentioned consultative selling. And of course, those are some of the new skill sets that are being expected with folks that work in brick and mortar. And just in general, the conversation about automation versus people power, particularly in the store is really heating up. And particularly as we have this highly competitive labor market and labor shortages and everyone's competing against everyone else for this more upgraded talent. What do you see as the emerging skill sets as retailer standards? And, you know, just requirements and expectations from consumers continue to escalate.
1: Yeah, I think you said it earlier, it's the soft skills. So which are harder to uncover and harder to interview for, right? Can you work a cash register? Sure. Can you work a square machine? Sure. Those are things that you can interview for. But I think The skill sets that we're seeing when we talk to some of the managers of the clients we work with, it's the softer skills. Can this person present material? Can they present a product? Can they walk a consumer through, for some of our service-minded clients, can they talk somebody through something that's fairly complex and have them feel comfortable and have them feel like they can trust what that person is saying? So those are much harder things to screen for, and that's what we're seeing a trend in is The skill sets are less about the hard skills of operating machinery or being able to do hard skills and more about connection.
0: Well, and I guess it's those hard skills that are ripe for automated solutions. That's right. So once again, just like the print and digital conversation, it's not one or the other. It's making wise choices about when one or the other makes more sense.
1: Absolutely. So back room, front room, client facing, not client facing, all the things that come to mind, yes.
0: Well, I end every interview with one question that I'll pose to you right now, Tina. What's next?
1: If I was talking to a brand, I would say continue experimenting. The environment is ripe for it. And listen to what your consumers are telling you because they're speaking. They're engaging in social channels. They're engaging in the app. They're giving feedback. No one's afraid to tell you whether their meal was good or bad. Just like if you go back in time, comment cards. If you read the comment cards, you know how your restaurant's doing. It's not just the sales figures anymore. It's what is the head and heart telling you in the minds of the consumers, not just their head, but their heart.
0: That's a great way to close. And I really was glad to get these updates on what Miller Zell is doing. I've followed your company over the years, and it sounds like you are right in the thick of things as things heat up in brick and mortar. And I'm just so glad you joined me today. And I really appreciate your time and sharing the insights and updates on all the things that you're doing in retail.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. It has been a fun ride to come from where we'd come from and all the way till now. I mean, we're even talking to some of our clients about the metaverse and how to start to build in there and create customer experiences in that world.
0: I think everybody's talking about the metaverse and (laughs) we're probably just now getting to the point where... It can't be dismissed anymore, and there's not going to be as much debate about whether it's relevant because retailers are just all over it. So that's going to be exciting to see what you guys do in that space. You can learn more about the great work that MillerZell is doing creating branded environments in retail by visiting MillerZell.com. And on that note, we'll wrap up this episode of Speakerman Speaks Retail. In future episodes, I'll be talking with more experts about where retail's going next And we'll keep on tracking those retail trajectories. So I hope you'll continue to listen every other Tuesday. And in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Retail Expert, X-P-E-R-T. And you can check out my media updates and speaking gigs at speakermanretail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.